So I encourage you guys to do that. All right, uh, we're starting a new series today on, on story time. So what we're going to do, we're going to tell stories. And you might be thinking, wow, that's not very spiritual. It, it kind of is. So I just, I, I, I mean, I love, your, I love the five-point sermons. I like getting into the text. Uh, I like to, you know, do the exegesis. That's a fancy way of saying that. I like to put it in the historical context. Um, but instead of doing exegesis, I want to teach like Jesus to, on this series. And, and Jesus told stories. He told very simple yet very profound stories. And they changed the world. And so we're going we're gonna to tell stories in this series. And so, I, I, you know what? If you really want to, like, memorize Scripture and dig into the Word, um, we have Bible studies throughout the week. So, I mean, if you want to memorize Scripture, you know, I'm not, I'm not downplaying them at all. We've got, a, we've got some great ones going on. But, but on Sundays for this season, until we hit Easter, we're going to tell stories. We're going to teach like Jesus taught because it, it's... It's powerful. So, okay, get your Bibles out, and we're going to look in that one of his very first parables. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. This is the parable of the sower. That's a guy who plants seeds. It's a fancy word, I know. That same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat by the lake. Such a large crowds gathered around him that he, could, that he got into a boat, and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he scattered the seed... Some fell along the path, and the birds came, and they ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, and they grew up, and they choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Now he who has ears, let him hear. And now we're going to skip down to verse 16. But blessed are your eyes because they have seen, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but they did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and he snatches away what is sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who receives the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word but the worries of this life, 
and the deceitfulness of wealth, they choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who receives the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word, understands it. He produces a crop, yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. And this is, a, this is an incredible insight, actually, into our spiritual growth. And uh, I, have a, a, I have a unique perspective. And our pastoral staff has a, has a unique perspective. And if you've been around church life for a, a, a period of time, you, you too have this perspective where you see people, they come into the church, and either they stick or they fade away. They come in and they, they, hear the, they hear the word of God. And maybe they've never cracked the Bible in their entire lives, but they feel something and they hear something. Something resonates within them. And, and I don't know, they, get, the, they get, a, like get a warm fuzzy from God or something. It's just, you know, there's just something that, that gives them a little spark of hope. And then Monday comes and the devil eats their lunch. It's really frustrating when the devil eats your lunch. I mean, it's just, you feel like you're getting somewhere, and then you get robbed. And it, it never feels good to get robbed. Anybody ever been, you know, had your car broken into, or ever had your house broken into, and you just have that violated feeling? Well, this is the same thing that the enemy of God likes to do. And I mean, he doesn't, I mean, this story's talking about birds, birds being the devil eating your food, and it's never fun. And then the next, you know, the next little area that we see quite a bit is the people that, um, they receive the word of God. And when, I, when I'm talking about the word of God in this context, it is the, it's, the, it's the living word of God for you right here and right now. See, God's word for me is probably a lot different from God's word for you. And he's going to plant a seed of love in your heart today. And everybody's seed's a little bit different. That's the amazing thing about God. So you get this seed of love in your heart. And again, from, our, from a pastor's perspective, we see this one quite a bit, where the seed gets sown in the heart, but there, it's, it's, it's rocky soil. It, there's, does anybody have a, a rocky life right now? Where maybe you just got a little too much going on, where you have a little too much drama where there's a little, there's not enough clarity in your life, there's a little confusion in your life, you have a rocky life. And when that seed gets sown in a rocky life, you get really excited because you actually feel the joy of your salvation and you can see and actually experience breakthrough in your life. And then six months, you're gone. Why? Why? It's because there was no, because you weren't spiritually rooted. The soil was too shallow. I, I remember I, I was a little evangelist in high school. I led quite a few kids to the Lord, and I really got frustrated when they faded out of church. But man, we got them saved, and they were excited. They, read, they, they, were, they were a better Christian than I was. They read their Bible, and they were witnessing. They were really excited about everything that was going on. And then, then that girl in the youth group dumped them, and then all of a sudden, they didn't want anything to do with God anymore. They weren't rooted. They didn't. 
they subscribed to something that was culturally Christianity, but they didn't go into a a deep-rooted relationship with the loving Heavenly Father. And then a seed gets sown on the path. We've seen this one quite a bit, too. Or they just get burnt out. It's the same concept. There's a, it's hot. It's scorched. They get burned by the sun. It's, too, it's, just, it's just difficult. I mean, we've all seen Christians that burn out. We've seen televangelists that burn out. Is they, they, the sun, the intensity, the, the, the drive of the ministry just gets to them, and it burns them out. And then... Probably the worst of all is seed that gets planted among the, the weeds or the thorns. And you can't, you can't, the Christian life is designed and is meant to be all or nothing. You can't live in two different worlds. You can't live in a weed patch, and you can't live in a corn patch at the same time. It's impossible to do. And this is what this is the brilliance about Jesus when he tells this story. He says the the seed that gets planted among the weeds, it's the thorns that, that will come in and it will literally choke out the word of God. That rhema seed, the what you need, what you need to to succeed, what you need to live life to its full, if it's planted among the weeds, like you've got, you haven't pulled your weeds. <laughs> like you're living in two different worlds. You want to you maintain this lifestyle, yet you want God's blessings. And what God says, you can't have them both. But when that, when that ramus word of, of God gets planted among the seeds, the seeds choke them out. And you know this is you when, you, when your attachments, because what does Jesus say? He says, the reason why it failed, the reason why it gets choked out, it's because of the worries of this world. The worries of this world is what gets it and it chokes it. And how many people are poor? You don't raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. But you're poor. I mean, there's a lot of people that it, it's, I mean, life's hard. You know how you're broke. And when you're constantly living in this broke state of mind, and if you can't change the way that you think and you're continually broke, then what gets latched onto you is the spirit of poverty. And that spirit of poverty, it's a, oh boy, it's a demonic spirit. And it latches onto your soul, it latches onto your emotions, and you can't break free of it. You're going to get choked out by the worries of the world. And that worry is competing, and it will win the affections for God's heart. Because you can't worry, and you can't worship at the same time. So there's competing factors for your heart. The enemy of God wants you to worry and complain. He wants you to adopt this poverty spirit. Now, can you be broke and not have the poverty spirit? Yes. And I can attest to that to you this morning. <laughs> right? Okay. Like life happens, and your car is going to break down, and your budget's not going to balance, and it happens. And you, gotta, you have to be good stewards of what God's given us. You've got to suck it up, and you've got to make sure that, you, that you're paying attention to the details. But what I'm telling you here is you don't let that poverty spirit sink into your soul that says... I am not worthy to get God's blessings because that is a thorn 
Does that, that make sense? Now, likewise, so that's one side of the coin that Jesus talks about. The other side of the coin that Jesus talks about is it says, the, the other thorn is the, the temptations of wealth. The temptations of wealth. So he talks about the worries of this world and the temptations and the pitfalls of wealth. Now, uh, when I lived in Santa Barbara, I worked for arguably one of the richest guys in Santa Barbara. The guy was a multi-million, probably borderline billionaire. He had the largest manuscripts collection in the world. He had over a million historical documents. He owned the original draft of, the, of our Bill of Rights. I don't know how that is legally possible, but he was able to do that. He owns the Constitution of Mexico. He owns, he owns parts of the Magna Carta. Um, it was absolutely amazing. I was over at his house, and um, um, the, um, the Da Vinci Codex went on the market. Arm & Hammer Museum, I don't know, they went bankrupt or something, and they put it up on the market. And... Uh, so he was bidding on this, and guess who he was bidding against? There was basically three, it was Ross Perot, him, and um, Bill Gates. Wow. So Bill Gates got it. He, he, won, he won the bid, and he, you know, of course, he made it all digital, and it was really cool. But um, my boss, he went into a deep depression for five days. I'm not exaggerating. You couldn't talk to the guy for five days because he lost this, this, this document. And it was the highest selling document of all time at that point. I mean, the ability to own a piece of paper, a piece of paper that costs millions and millions of dollars. Yet this guy would not buy me an electric pencil, pencil sharpener for my office, office, right? He was the cheapest man I've ever met in my entire life. I, when I, I had to do a museum for him, I had to get five bids for absolutely everything that I ever did. And guess which one I always had to take? I had to take the cheapest one. Not necessarily the one that was the best, not the one that was the quality work, but I had to take the cheapest one. So it was a lot of, you know, junky work that we had to put up with. All right? We would go out to dinner. We didn't go to nice restaurants. We went to pizza parlors. And guess what? They used coupons. The coupons. Extremely rich, wealthy people cutting out coupons. It, it actually costs them more money to take the time to find the coupon and to clip it out than it would be just to go to the pizza place and buy it. Their time was worth more than the time that they would take to clip out a coupon. It was estimated if Bill Gates would take the time to bend over and pick up a $100 bill that he would actually lose money, that his time was worth more if he just kept on walking and taking the time to bend over to pick up a $100 bill. So this is the mentality. And i tell you something. They're great people. I love them. But both are a poverty spirit. Both this spirit that says, I'm broke and I'm never going to get out, and this is the lot, my lot in life. <sighs> Woe is me. And that, that extremely rich individual that hoards everything that they have. They're both a poverty spirit. 
And they both go against how God has designed us. Because God has designed us to be rivers and not ponds. It is streams of living water that will flow through us. And this is, a, we get, we get this, this is another reason why, uh, why birds eat our seed, why the devil eats our lunch, and why we get burned out, and why we get dried up, and why we get bored with our faith. It's because uh, we're not giving out. When you get saved, when you come into the knowledge that, that God is on the move and he is out to bless you and he is going to transform your life and there's miracles and there's healings, when you experience these things, boom, you're blown away and it's the most amazing thing that you've ever experienced in your entire life. And then one day it dries up and you're wondering, where is God? Why can't I hear his voice? And why did all this, thing, why did all this cool stuff go away? And that's because we weren't designed to be ponds. We were designed to be rivers. And probably the key is that you're not giving away. You have developed this hoarding spirit where you're just, I'm going to collect all this God water for myself and I'm not going to share it. All that, that really cool Bible verse that really ministered to me, that's my verse, and I'm not going to share it with anybody else. That's my Ramo word. Right? You know, I, I, I wrote about this the other day. Um, there is no such thing as plagiarism in the kingdom of heaven. Like every amazing thought that I've ever got about God in my entire life, uh, guess who the author is? <laughs> it's not me. So if I ever have this, I don't know, this spark of brilliance that you like, you actually require to steal it from me and use it on somebody else. Word for word, if you like. Because it's not, when we talk about the word of God, when we talk about the living word of God, it's his and it is meant to be shared, and it is meant to be given, and it is meant to be planted everywhere. So we've got to break this, this poverty spirit, this hoarding spirit that we, that we tend to have. All right. So let's, those, are the, those are the bad soil, right? There's, there's soil where it's like, you know, seed gets, it gets scattered on the sidewalk, and gets burned up or birds come and eat it or the, it's rocky soil that doesn't take root or weeds choke it out or the sun scorches it. Those are all the bad soils, right? And then what does he say about the good soil? Now, this is amazing. You guys need to pay attention because the good soil produces 160, 30 times more blessings. That's better than the stock market. Those are some good odds. I'm playing those. To have that type of, I mean, and this is not even talk about money. Let's just talk about living life to its full. Like being, I don't know, we all have these imaginations of, who, you know, who we are and our identity. But actually being the best you that you could possibly be. Like right now, Josh Kapczynski is probably a five. Could you imagine if Joshua Kapczynski was a hundred? but being the best you that you could possibly be. See, you know what Jesus is really talking about here? He is talking about living life to the full. Success, a, a truly successful life is actually Jesus' desire for you. And how do you get it? 
How does this cute little story, how does this parable, what does it tell you? How do you get it? Okay, he's talking about ground, right? He's talking about ground. What, out of the story, what, what's, the, what's, the, okay, what's the common denominator? What's the thing that does not change, that is consistent? It's God. It's his word. So these seeds of love that get planted, they are the same. They are good seed. So the seed is not the issue, and the sower is not the issue. So those, are, those two factors are not the reason why we fail. Why, what, what's the reason why we fail? It, it, it's the ground. It's, it's not the seed. It's not the planter. It's not necessarily us. It's where we are at. It's the ground is, is the issue. Uh, if anybody is in retail, how do you succeed in retail? What's the key to success in retail, folks? Location, location, location. Location is the key to being blessed by God, to be receiving all that he has for us. So where are you? Are you living in the past? Are you imagining that you'd rather be somewhere else than, than you are right now? Are you, are you living in the future? Is your head in the clouds? Do you even know what ground you're standing on? Would you know if you're on the sidewalk or do, would you know if you're on rocky ground? Are you up to your ankles in weeds? Are you up to your ankles in topsoil? Do you know where you're standing? A few weeks ago, we had a really great testimony. We had this guy share. He's somewhat new to the church, and he, um, um, this is difficult. I'm just going to say it. Uh, so he came to us from another church that doesn't believe in miracles. Like, we believe in miracles in our church. Last night was the Valentine's Day dance, and my wife and I danced. See right there, we believe in miracles. <laughs> Miracles do happen, right? You will know it is the hand of God when I can dance on my own. I used to live, I used to live in this uh, African-American community that adopted me, and it was, it was their mission from on high to teach me how to dance. And she, this, my friend of mine, she says, honey, he says, it's in everybody. Everybody can dance. That's how God made us. And then uh, three weeks in, she's like, honey, there's no hope for you. You have, you have absolutely no rhythm at all. So, anyway, we believe in miracles, so I'm still contending for my, for my deliverance from not having any rhythm. All right. Um, uh, where was I? Miracles. Oh, the testimony. Okay, yeah, this testimony. So, so this guy comes in. He's, he's been you know, hanging out in our church. He kind of floats in and floats out. And um, they came to Living Nativity and brought their kids to pet camels and donkeys and stuff. And I mean, um, I want to, uh, church family, I want to encourage you. You need to be, be, 
not only do you need to know what, what soil you're standing in, but you also need to know the condition of the soil that your brothers and sisters are standing in too. And you ought to, if you serve in our church, if you're in this 250 people that are coming to our, our, our appreciation dinner, I'm, gonna, I'm giving you a new assignment. You need to be able to discern and you need to be able to read and figure out if people, if your friends are hurting. And it is your job to minister to them. Okay, so this family comes hobbling in, and I mean hobbling in a spiritual sense. They're, they're a hurting family because their eight-year-old daughter has cancer, bone cancer, bad stuff. They're, they're the city of hope out and out, their children's hospital out there. I mean, it, it's, not, it's not looking good. And you could just, I mean, you've all been there. You've been, in, you've been in hopeless situations before, and you just carry yourself differently. There's something gets projected off of you, this negativity, this hopelessness. I mean, I'm like, we don't have to know God to figure out that this family's hurting, right? I don't even need, to, you know, words of knowledge to figure this one out. This is an easy read. And, and we're like, all right, before you go, we're just going to pray for you. Okay, he's coming from a church that does not believe in miracles, at all. They're a cessationist church, meaning that all of the signs and wonders and all of the miracles, they ceased when this book got bound. It was basically, you know, all the miracles were just for the apostles and for super spiritual people and stuff. It's all stopped. This is what they believe. So teaching on the Holy Spirit never happens. I don't know how they avoid entire themes of the Bible, but they're able to do it for some reason. And we're like, oh, this is kind of, all right, uh, well, we think we should pray for you. Um, so you don't mind if we get a little weird and pray for your daughter, do you? <laughs> you know what? When you're desperate, you don't really care how weird people are. I don't care. I don't care if you're wearing a clown wig. If you love me and if you're willing to pray for me and if you're going to contend for my healing, go for it. I don't care. But so they open themselves up. They open up their family and they open up their daughter to basically relative strangers and they say, yeah, we're desperate. You pray for us. And, and the noises and the noises his daughter and our daughter and a couple other people, we laid hands on this girl and she was healed. I mean... <laughs> x-rays, everything, gone, all right? Pretty cool, right? And so a couple of weeks ago, he's like, all right, this is too good to not share. So we dragged this guy up here. Again, no grid for the things of the Spirit, right? Coming out of one of the frozen chosen churches, no grid for this stuff. And so he comes in, so he's going to give a testimony of the healing of the daughter. And the first thing that he says when he comes up here, and it, because it, 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 it wrecked me, it hurt me, is he said, man, I came into church today and I felt just this really dense presence of God here. I don't know what that is, but there's something, there's something different when I walked in the room today for worship and i'm sitting here i'm like oh my gosh i'm such a loser because i did not sense it 
I did not discern that the presence of God was in the room. And I got convicted because an, an individual who has no grid for God's Holy Spirit, for sensing the Holy Spirit, he was able to pick up on it and I wasn't. Why? Because I didn't realize where I was standing. I didn't realize I was in fertile soil. He did, but I didn't. And so sometimes we are standing in fertile soil and we don't realize it. It is, we take it for granted with what we've got. Familiarity breeds contempt. We get around the Holy Spirit so much, we get so used to it, we take it for granted. It's not that big of a deal. And yet there's people that are broken and are hurting and your friends and your family members that, that are dealing with very difficult stuff. They need what is in the room. We have fertile soil here. And, and when I say, I say it in a, in a figurative sense, in a spiritual sense, but also in a literal sense. 36 years this church has been here. It's always been a church. It's holy ground, and I believe that. So do you know where you're standing? I mean, that's just a very... If we understand where we are standing, it makes all the difference in the world and in reaching success. Uh, all right. You feel burnout? Like, okay, good. We've got some people, some, some people do feel burnout. Guess where you're standing? You're not standing in fertile soil. Because what Jesus says is, when you're in fertile soil, the sun doesn't burn you. You know what else it says? When you're in topsoil, when you're, when you're, neat, when you're ankle up in, in nice fertile soil, uh, the devil can't eat your lunch. Is the devil eating your lunch? You're, standing, you're not standing on good ground. You're all freaking out about the world or you're all tight with your money. Guess where you're standing? You're standing in weeds and thorns. You don't know where you're at. The sower and the seed is the constants. What changes is, is where we're at in our location. And we choose where we stand. So you have to choose where you are. What real estate you choose to hold up on. Is your home... It, is your home good fertile soil? Is your workplace good fertile soil? You can take the presence of God both into your workplace and into your home life, into your church. Wherever you may go, you can make that good fertile soil. But you have to choose the real estate. You have to choose the location. God's not going to make that choice for you. Your friends. Maybe that's, maybe that's a rocky situation. Maybe that's a thorny situation. Maybe that's a very polluted situation. Sometimes we have to choose who we hang out with in order to get in proper soil. That's tough, I know. But if you want freedom, if you want hope, if you want to break free from bondages, you have to make those choices. God's not going to make them for you. Don't take the Holy Spirit for granted. Don't quench him. Don't grieve him. Get on board with him. If somebody that is very green in, this, in what's going on in the Spirit knows more about the Spirit than you do, uh, this, allow, this might be painful. Just allow the Holy Spirit to convict you of that. Allow him to convict you of that. Change your heart. Repent of that. 
Turn towards God. Turn, turn towards his love so that his ramus seed can be planted and take root deep in your heart. My, my previous life, I, I know I share about this quite a bit, but some of you are new and we just have to put up with my stories. <laughs> um, my previous life, uh, I was a museum director and then I crossed over to the dark side and became an antique dealer. <laughs> and uh, I used to, I had a shop in Pasadena and we would import and we would, you know, we'd do ocean freight. We'd go out and buy in, in France and Italy and Belgium and we'd o ocean freight it back over and we'd sell it in our shop. On one particular trip, uh, I, I'd done everything. I'd done all the major buying. Some of the buying is done in flea markets, kind of like our Rose Bowl, but without the Hollywood jerks. Um, <laughs> you ever been to the Rose Bowl? It's the most pretentious, annoying thing in the world. Uh, anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> and then there's antique stores, kind of like ours, but you know, different. And then there's full-blown warehouses. There's just packed full of used furniture and gems and good stuff. And, and so that's what we did. And we had a lot of fun doing it. And so uh, I was at the end of the trip. I'd done all the, the, the swap meets and the, the antique sales and went to some of the usual suspects that I usually visit. And I'm driving down. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I'm by myself. I have a truck full of furniture. And I, and I, I pass this, this place. It's not a warehouse and it's not a traditional antique shop. But it's got, like, I think it had like a blue neon lemon, and the name of the place was Citron Blue, which is the blue lemon. You have to be a weird French person to get this, I guess. So it was the blue lemon. It was the zest for life. And so I walk into this antique store, and the proprietor's sitting in a little office over to the corner, and he's got like this kind of this blonde, curly, bushy head of hair, or like really thick locks, and puffy vest, it's freezing in his shop, and he's got these round spectacles on. I mean, I kid you not, he looks like a character out of Harry Potter. <laughs> and my, you know, I walk into the shop, my eyes begin to adjust, and um, my senses kick in, and there's the smells. You know you're in a good place when you can smell moldy furniture <laughs> mixed in with oil paints. So right there I know, okay, there's paintings in here. It, it's very exciting stuff. Okay, there's paintings in here and there's moldy furniture in here. This is a good sign. Just, just my very, the, the sense of smell is getting it. And then I begin to see stuff. And it is not just a warehouse packed full of used furniture. Okay, this guy, the proprietors had some pride in his picking. And so he's not only got used furniture that is different and unique and special, but he's got nice pieces peppered throughout the whole shop. And it's a, it's a decent sized shop. And then I began to realize there's some really good stuff. Anybody watch uh, American Pickers? Go watch that show. It's a honey hole. And I know it. I know, I know I have landed myself in a honey hole. So I just, I, okay, I break the ice. I buy a few things. I know that these are good things. I know I'm going to make money on them. Um, and I know, I know I'm in a good environment. I know I'm on holy ground, right? I have enough common sense. I have enough discernment to realize that I am in a honey hole, and I'm going to pay attention, and I know I'm tired. I know I'm exhausted, 
and I know I'm broke, but that does not give me an excuse to pass up this opportunity. There's lots of opportunities that we pass on because we're, we're, we're tired, we're exhausted, we're fatigued, we're burnt out. Devil's eating our lunch. And God presents us an opportunity, another one, and another one, and another one. So I had enough common sense to stick around, to drink some coffee, to schmooze the proprietor. And I know I had some goodbyes. I have some in my office right now, actually. I actually regret almost everything that I've sold that I bought in that shop. I wasn't a very good antique dealer because I wanted to keep everything. Um, <laughs> and then I saw it piled in the corner, bunch of junk on top of it, chairs piled on top. It was a hutch. And, you know, it had, a, it had a, a blanket on top, so it was covering most of it. And all I saw at the bottom of the hutch was an iron crossbar, hand wrought, and I knew exactly what it was. Lifted up the corner of the blanket, I'm like, oh my gosh, because I saw the hinges. Oh my gosh. How much do you want for this? I think it was $7,000. Uh, how much do you want for this? And uh, give me the price. Uh, guess how much money I had? Zero. I had nothing. End of my buying trip. I've blown all my money. But I'm looking at something. I'm able to discern it. I know exactly what it is. And I know it's a lot of money. It's a huge risk. But I know the value of it. I know what it's worth. And so I charged that sucker. <laughs> Not a good thing to teach in financial peace or whatever ministry we do for your finances. But I charged that sucker because I knew exactly what it is. I was like all in. I called him. I said, I need more credit. And I bought it. And I shipped it. And by, before we got the wrapping paper off of it in my shop, I had sold it for $30,000. It's because I knew where I was at. I was informed well enough to know, and I didn't give up when I was tired. There's another scripture that's very similar to this. Same uh, story series that Jesus is talking about. Chapter 13, verses 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. Oh, folks, I love the presence of God. I love his kingdom. I will do whatever it takes to get inside of it. I'll sell everything that I've got. I'll, do, I'll risk all kinds of stuff. The kingdom of heaven is, outweighs anything that I could possibly desire on earth. All the, the money, the wealth, the security, relationships. I want God in me. I want to see the stuff. I don't want to just preach the things of Jesus. I want to do the things of Jesus. And Jesus wants me to do the things that he did too. This is what it, his word says. 
when we studied the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul says, man, I wish I knew Jesus. Oh, this is the Apostle Paul. The Spirit of God blew him off his horse on the way to Damascus. He had one of the most intense God encounters. He was called up into the third heaven, and some theologians believe that he actually was taught by Jesus face to face after the death and resurrection of Christ, after the ascension. So Jesus loved Paul so much that he got off the throne on the right hand of the Father and hung out with Paul in the flesh. Some people disagree with that, but I'm beginning to lean that way. And yet he says, man, I wish I knew Jesus more. I want more kingdom in me. Isn't it amazing? And then he goes on to say, Jesus says, And the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of the great, excuse me, excuse me. When he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. Okay, they're all, it's all right here, right? It's the same idea. You find something of value, you know it's worth, you're all in and you go out and you sell everything that you can to buy it, whether it's treasure in a field or whether it's the, the pearl of great price. And this is, the, this is why Jesus was such a master storyteller because there's just an incredible twist in, the, in these two verses that I just read that most of us won't pick up on. Yeah, like when I desire the kingdom of heaven, I'm going to go and get it. I'm going to contend for it. I'm going to fight for it. I want to bring heaven down to earth. And whatever it costs, I'm going to do it. And then you would think that the same applies to the pearl of great price. But here's the great twist. So it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for pearls. The pattern's different. And it's different because Jesus is twisting the story on us. Yeah, we ought to be after the kingdom of heaven, but do you realize that the kingdom of heaven is after you? So what Jesus is saying is, yeah, the, the, the treasure is out there for you, but not only is the treasure out there for you, but you're not looking for the pearl. You are the pearl of great price. There's the twist in his amazing story. You are the pearl of great price. And just like I'm willing to charge that card to buy that dining room set because I know its value, our heavenly father, he charged that eternal spiritual charge card because he saw the value in us and he was willing to pay everything to get you. And he did it by selling his own son on the cross for you. That's how much he loves us. He went all in. He knows our value. He paid the ultimate price to put us in a container and ship us home. He loves you so much. He loves you more than you love yourself. If you have kids, he loves your kids more than you love them. The people around you, your friends and family that you hold so dear, God loves them more than you do. And he illustrates it in the most powerful story in, in all of mankind, the death and resurrection and the ascension of his son. Can I have the, the band and the ushers come to the front? And because it is Valentine's Day, I have one romantic quote from you. And I, ha I, 
I don't know, I'm just such an ornery guy sometimes. So I, I did not pick Romeo and Juliet or Weathering Heights. Oh, I couldn't stand Weathering Heights, by the way. Um, <laughs> oh, Heathcliff. Oh. All right. This one's from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> Love is like a tree. It grows by itself, roots itself deeply in our being, and continues to flourish over a heart in ruin. Your heart, is your heart in ruin? Is it broken? Is it on the sidewalk getting trampled? Is it getting choked out by weeds? Burned up by the sun? Love will flourish over your heart in ruin. The inexplicable fact is that the blinder it is, the more tenacious it is. Does that make sense to you? The blinder love is, the more tenacious it is. For me, what that means is I can't put God in a box. I can't choose how to love him on my terms. He's a wild guy. He's going to move my cheese. He's going to mess with me. He's not going to allow me to fall into patterns of religion. He's out for a deep relationship with me. And I have to go in blindly. I have to say, all right, I trust you. I'm going to go in with faith. I go in blindly, Lord. I know you love me. Here's my life. That's what this is saying to me. It is never stronger than when it is completely unreasonable. Love is completely unreasonable at times. It doesn't make any sense that God loves us. Just take a look at your life. Look at all the naughty things that you've done. All the horrible emotions you have inside of, your, you, know, inside of you. Yet God still loves you. Unconditionally. There's no reason for that. It's all love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for a, a great day in your presence. And God, may we never, ever get complacent or used to being in good soil again. God, right now, I just pray that you will just convict us and you just break our hearts that, that people have just been introduced to your goodness are able to sense your presence more than us seasoned saints. So God, just forgive us of that familiarity that breeds contempt. And God, we are so thankful that, we are, that we're knee-deep in fertile soil, that we are deeply planted and rooted in you, that you're a good father and you have your best in mind for us. May we just be after your kingdom. May we have just an ounce of that drive that you have for us. And when we see that treasure, may we just sell it all. May we be all in just to get it and to dig it up and to buy that land because you see us as pearls. God bless us. And for those of us that need to be moved, I pray that you give us the will to make those decisions to change our real estate. We love you, Lord.